What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. She would be kissed. The feeling between them was changed. Melmott dined at home that evening with no company but that of his wife and daughter. Latterly, one of the Grendals had almost always joined their party when they did not dine out. Indeed, it was an understood thing that Miles Grendall should dine there always, unless he explained his absence by some engagement, so that his presence there had come to be considered as a part of his duty. Not infrequently, Alfred and Miles would both come, as Melmotte's dinners and wines were good, and occasionally the father would take the son's place. But on this day they were both absent. Madame Melmotte had not as yet said a word to anyone indicating her own apprehension of any evil. But not a person had called to-day, the day after the great party, and even she, though she was naturally callous in such matters, had begun to think that she was deserted. She had, too, become so used to the presence of the Grendals that she now missed their company. She thought that on this day, of all days, when the world was balloting for her husband at Westminster, they would both have been with him to discuss the work of the day. "'Is not Mr. Grendall coming?' she asked, as she took her seat at the table. "'No, he is not,' said Melmotte. "'Nor Lord Alfred?' "'Nor Lord Alfred.' Melmotte had returned home, much comforted by the day's proceedings. No one had dared to say a harsh word to his face. Nothing further had reached his ears. After leaving the bank, he had gone back to his office and had written letters, just as if nothing had happened, and as far as he could judge, his clerks had plucked up courage. One of them, about five o'clock, came in to him with news from the West, and with second editions of the evening papers. The clerk expressed his opinion that the election was going well. Mr. Melmot, judging from the papers, one of which was supposed to be on his side, and the other, of course, against him, thought that his affairs altogether were looking well. The Westminster election had not the foremost place in his thoughts, but he took what was said on that subject as indicating the minds of men upon the other matter. He read Alf's speech, and consoled himself with thinking that Mr. Alf had not dared to make new accusations against him. All that about Hamburg and Vienna and Paris was as old as the hills, and availed nothing. His whole candidature had been carried in the face of that. "'I think we shall do pretty well,' he said to the clerk. His very presence in Abchurch Lane, of course, gave confidence, and thus, when he came home, something of the old arrogance had come back upon him, and he could swagger, at any rate, before his wife and servants. "'Nor Lord Alfred,' he said with scorn. Then he added more. "'The father and son are two damned curs.' This, of course, frightened Madame Melmotte, and she joined this desertion of the Grendals to her own solitude all the day." 
"'Is there anything wrong, Melmotte?' she said afterwards, creeping up to him in the back parlour and speaking in French. "'What do you call wrong?' "'I don't know, but I seem to be afraid of something.' "'I should have thought you were used to that kind of feeling by this time.' "'Then there is something.' "'Don't be a fool. There is always something. There is always much.' "'You don't suppose that this kind of thing can be carried on as smoothly "'as the life of an old maid with four hundred pounds a year "'paid quarterly in advance?' "'Shall we have to move again?' she asked. "'How am I to tell? "'You haven't much to do when we move, "'and may get plenty to eat and drink wherever you go. "'Does that girl mean to marry Lord Nidderdale?' "'Madame Melmotte shook her head. "'What a poor creature you must be "'when you can't talk her out of a fancy "'for such a reprobate as young Carberry.' "'If she throws me over, I'll throw her over. "'I'll flog her within an inch of her life if she disobeys me. "'You tell her that I say so.' "'Then he may flog me,' said Marie, "'when so much of the conversation was repeated to her that evening. "'Papa does not know me if he thinks that I am to be made to marry a man by flogging. "'No such attempt was at any rate made that night, "'for the father and husband did not again see his wife or daughter.' Early the next day a report was current that Mr. Alf had been returned. The numbers had not as yet been counted or the books made up, but that was the opinion expressed. All the morning newspapers, including the breakfast-table, repeated this report, but each gave it as the general opinion on the matter. The truth would not be known till seven or eight o'clock in the evening. The conservative papers did not scruple to say that the presumed election of Mr. Alf was owing to a sudden declension in the confidence originally felt in Mr. Melmotte. The breakfast-table, which had supported Mr. Melmotte's candidature, gave no reason, and expressed more doubt on the result than the other papers. "'We know not how such an opinion forms itself,' the writer said, "'but it seems to have been formed. As nothing as yet is really known or can be known, we express no opinion of our own upon the matter.' Mr. Melmotte again went into the city, and found that things seemed to have returned very much into their usual grooves. The Mexican railway shares were low, and Mr. Cohenloop was depressed in spirits and unhappy. But nothing dreadful had occurred, or seemed to be threatened. If nothing dreadful did occur, the railway shares would probably recover, or nearly recover, their position. In the course of the day, Melmotte received a letter from Messrs. Slow and Bidewile, which, of itself, certainly contained no comfort. But there was comfort to be drawn, even from that letter, by reason of what it did not contain. The letter was unfriendly in its tone and peremptory. It had come evidently from a hostile party. It had none of the feeling which had hitherto prevailed in the intercourse between these two well-known conservative gentlemen, Mr. Adolphus Longstaff and Mr. Augustus Melmotte. But there was no allusion in it to forgery, no question of criminal proceedings, no hint at aught beyond the not unnatural desire of Mr. Longstaff and Mr. Longstaff's son to be paid for the property at Pickering which Mr. Melmotte had purchased. "'We have to remind you,' said the letter, in continuation of paragraphs, which it contained simply demands for the money, "'that the title deeds were delivered to you on receipt by us of authority to that effect from the Messrs. Longstaff, father and son, on the understanding that the purchase money was to be paid to us by you. We are informed that the property has been since mortgaged by you. We do not state this as a fact.' but the information, whether true or untrue, forces upon us the necessity of demanding that you should at once pay to us the purchase money, eighty thousand pounds, or else return to us the title deeds of the estate. This letter, which was signed slow and bide a while, 
declared positively that the title deeds had been given up on authority received by them from both the Longstaffs, father and son. Now, the accusation brought against Melmotte, as far as he could as yet understand it, was that he had forged the signature to the young Mr. Longstaff's letter. Messrs. Slow and Bidewile were therefore on his side. As to the simple debt, he cared little comparatively about that. Many fine men were walking about London who owed large sums of money which they could not pay. As he was sitting at his solitary dinner this evening, for both his wife and daughter had declined to join him, saying that they had dined early, news was brought to him that he had been elected for Westminster. He had beaten Mr. Alf by something not much less than a thousand votes. It was very much to be member for Westminster. So much had at any rate been achieved by him who had begun the world without a shilling and without a friend, almost without education. Much as he loved money, and much as he loved the spending of money, and much as he had made and much as he had spent, no triumph of his life had been so great to him as this. Brought into the world in a gutter, without father or mother, with no good thing ever done for him, he was now a member of the British Parliament, and member for one of the first cities in the Empire. Ignorant as he was, he understood the magnitude of the achievement, and dismayed as he was as to his present position, still at this moment he enjoyed keenly a certain amount of elation. Of course he had committed forgery. Of course he had committed robbery. That, indeed, was nothing, for he had been cheating and forging and stealing all his life. Of course he was in danger of almost immediate detection and punishment. He hardly hoped that the evil day would be very much longer protracted, and yet he enjoyed his triumph. Whatever they might do, quick as they might be, they could hardly prevent his taking his seat in the House of Commons. Then, if they sent him to penal servitude for life, they would have to say that they had so treated the member for Westminster. He drank a bottle of claret, and then got some brandy and water. In such troubles as were coming upon him now, he would hardly get sufficient support from wine. He knew that he had better not drink that is, he had better not drink, supposing the world to be free to him for his own work and his own enjoyment. But if the world were no longer free to him, if he were really coming to penal servitude and annihilation, then why should he not drink while the time lasted? An hour of triumphant joy might be an eternity to a man, if the man's imagination were strong enough to make him so regard his hour. He therefore took his brandy and water freely, and as he took it he was able to throw his fears behind him, and to assure himself that, after all, he might even yet escape from his bondages. No, he would drink no more. This he said to himself as he filled another beaker. He would work instead. He would put his shoulder to the wheel, and would yet conquer his enemies. It would not be so easy to convict a member for Westminster, especially if money were spent freely. Was he not the man who, at his own cost, had entertained the Emperor of China? Would not that be remembered in his favour? Would not men be unwilling to punish the man who had received at his own table all the princes of the land and the prime minister, and all the ministers? To convict him would be a national disgrace. He fully realised all this as he lifted the glass to his mouth and puffed out the smoke in large volumes to his lips. But money must be spent. Yes, money must be had. Cohenloop certainly had money. Though he squeezed it out of the coward's veins, he would have it. At any rate, he would not despair. There was a fight to be fought yet, and he would fight it to the end. Then he took a deep drink, and slowly, with careful and almost solemn steps, he made his way up to his bed. End of chapter 64
It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli. I guess. Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.